to open the Word of God with me, please, in the New Testament to the little book of Titus, if you will. Uh, Titus is, for some reason, one of the neglected books of the New Testament. Maybe it's its size. Maybe it is uh, the fact that it is sandwiched between famous books like First and Second Timothy and Philemon and Hebrews. I don't know why, but for some reason, at least for me, maybe not for you, Titus has been largely overlooked. Uh, in fact, in some ways, we almost get the idea, well, that's the same thing he said to Timothy. No, no. Look, if all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, then every word of the Word has something for us. Every page of Scripture, God has something He's trying to say to us. And so the little book of Titus, look at it with me just for a second, only three chapters long, not long at all, is where we're going to pitch our tent this week. And we're going to live in it. We're going to eat it, drink it, sleep it, breathe it, think it, talk it. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you for the next three days devotionally to live in the little book of Titus. Now maybe you're on a Bible reading schedule and, and you have something you're doing. Great, just add this to that. That's fine. You can't get too much Bible. Can we agree on that? But I'm going to ask you, not just in the services, but in your own private time with the Lord, uh, to read through the little book of Titus. And for the record, if you start right now and say, I'm going to get it done while he's preaching this morning, that doesn't count, all right? You have to do it on your own time. Uh, we have three days. There's three chapters. You may want to take a chapter a day, or you may want to read the whole book all three days. It's easy to read in a very short amount of time. Uh, but Titus is powerful, and I'm just praying the Holy Spirit will be our preacher this week and show us so many wonderful things. Uh, let's begin right here where Paul begins under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 1. The very first word is the name of the author. That was kind of a, a normal thing in ancient letter writing. Uh, by the way, I hadn't planned to say this, but you know letter writing has been lost in our day. Have you noticed that? How many of you have written a letter, an actual letter in the last seven days? Would you raise your hand, please? Hold it up big and high. These are the overachievers among us, all right? We commend you people. How many of you have received a letter in the last seven days? Would you raise your hand? That's very good. I have two. I got home from, a, from another series of meetings the other night, and uh, there were some letters there, and they were refreshing and encouraging to me. But by and large, in our world of little media blurbs and and 140-character posts and all that kind of thing, we have lost letter writing. And I think that's, that's to the detriment. That's an extra, all right? But this is not just a letter. This is not just an ancient letter. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired letter, which means it is not just the writing of Paul. It is the Word of God through Paul's pen. So Paul is the means by which the letter is being written, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Look at it. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Would you take your pen and mark the last phrase of verse number 1 because I think the key to the book is found near the front door. Literally, right Write this down somewhere. The truth which is after godliness. This is what the book is all about. It's not just about truth. Lift your head and look here just a moment. This is truth. Can we agree on that? Yes? God's word is truth. And uh, somebody said all truth is God's truth. That's right because God is himself truth. But there are many things that are true in this world that do not tend to godliness. For example, there are political 
truths. There are medical truths. There are scientific truths. There are historical truths. And somebody said, is that true? Oh, yes, that's true. But just because something is true doesn't mean that truth transforms you to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to the book of Titus, oh, I love this. God says, I'm not only going to give you truth, I'm going to give you the kind of truth that explodes in your life and changes everything about you. I'm going to give you the truth that makes you more like God. Somebody said, what is godliness? It's what it sounds like, God in us. It's Christ being so formed in us that when people see us, they don't see us, they see the Christ in us. And they're not attracted to us, they're attracted to the Christ in us. Let's take a survey. How many of you would like to be more like Jesus when this meeting is done? Yes? By the way, that's what real revival is. Revival should not be measured by the crowd. It should not be measured even by the enthusiasm. It should not be measured by all the peripheral things. Revival should be measured by godliness. When it is done, are we more like the Lord Jesus Christ? And so Paul begins here, the truth which is after godliness. Keep reading, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, (laughs) I love this, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. By the way, that little expression, the common faith, doesn't mean it's ordinary. There is nothing ordinary about our salvation. It is extraordinary. There's nothing natural about this, though. This is the supernatural work of the grace of God. The word common here means, and this is precious. This is a precious truth, people. The word common means this is what we have in common. In other words, look, I'm looking around the room. There's a variety of people here today at different ages and stages in life and backgrounds and all that kind of thing. This is the beauty of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of our salvation. We have one thing in common, if nothing else today. We have Christ in common. So you don't know me and I don't know you, but we all know Jesus, which means if we belong to Christ, we're connected to one another. It's like Jude writing about the common salvation. That doesn't mean it's run-of-the-mill. No, it's wonderful. It means it is what we all have been made partakers of. So look at it, verse number 4. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, we're going to launch into all the rest of this in the next hour. You might even take your Bible ribbon. Do you have a Bible ribbon or marker? Just mark Titus 1 because you'll be ahead of everybody that didn't come to Sunday school, all right? And this is where we're going to go back to again and again and again. Let's begin here with these opening verses, this little introduction that Paul gives to this young man, Titus. And somewhere I want you to write this down. I'm going to give you a list of some things to write down this morning. I want you to write across the top of your page or in the margin of your Bible, getting ready for what God has to say. Basically, in the opening verses of the little book of Titus, Paul is getting Titus and the Christians in Crete ready for so much else that God wants to say to them. And isn't that the great challenge for all of us? The great challenge is us simply getting ready to hear from heaven. I remember years ago hearing people talk about revival like it was some very difficult thing. 
like it was some really, really hard thing. There was some equation to it. And, and uh, if, you, if you do this and this and this and this and this and this, and, this, and then maybe, just maybe. And you know what I started to discover as I started studying about revival in Scripture? Revival is actually not hard at all. Revival is the supernatural work of God and nothing is too hard for God. Do you think it's hard? Do you think it's hard for a God who breathed life into Adam to breathe life into his people? Do you think that's hard? Do you think it's hard for Christ who stood in a cemetery and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did to bring life again to a church? Absolutely not. Do you think it's hard for the Holy Spirit who came in mighty power on the day of Pentecost and set in motion a spiritual tidal wave to do what he wants to do in our day? Absolutely not. I say again, nothing is too hard for our God. The hard thing is not revival. The hard thing is us getting ready for the revival. The difficult thing is not on God's side, it's on our side. Because the reality is most of God's people are not really prepared to hear from God. Now, don't answer out loud, but I wonder how many people in this room came in here this morning actually ready to hear what God had to say to them. You got up, got ready this morning. Congratulations. I'm looking across the audience. You all look really nice today. And you prepared yourself physically, and you got the kids ready, and and somehow you got in the car and got here on time, and all, congratulations. But that's not what I'm talking about. Now, I'm asking you this morning, spiritually, are you what old Vance Havner used to call in tune with heaven today? Are you on the Lord's frequency? Are you ready to hear what it is God has to say? I cannot believe, I'm sorry, but I just cannot believe that God, who started speaking in the creation and spoke through His Word and speaks through His Son and speaks through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, I cannot believe that our God is speaking less in our generation. I don't believe that. Just because things are bad doesn't mean God stopped being good. Just because we're near the end of the age doesn't mean God got quiet. No, no, I believe God is speaking. The problem is not that God is not speaking. The problem is that very few people are ready to hear what it is God is trying to say to them. And so what must we do? We must get ready for what God wants to say to us. Now, the book of Titus is interesting for a couple reasons. One, it is in what we call the pastoral epistles. How many of you ever heard that term before? So, basically, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are referred to as these pastoral epistles because they were written to pastors, and for the record, they weren't just for the pastors, they were for the people that the pastors were leading. So, God's not just speaking to the pastor of the church. No, no, my friend, God wants to speak to all of His people. And this section of Scripture governs what God wants to say to the church. This is so important to understand, but God has something He wants to say to this church this week. And you may say to me, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. In fact, I'm not actually the preacher this week. Did you know I'm not the preacher this week? I work for the preacher. The preacher is the Holy Spirit. No, I just work for him. If you're expecting something to come from me, look, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You better better change your expectation right now because I have nothing to say to you. But God has much he wants to say to every one of us. 
I know the portion of Scripture the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart. I know the place in the Bible where God said to me, live there this week and labor there this week. But I don't know all that God wants to say because I don't know the spiritual needs in your family. I don't know the deep things of your heart. But the Spirit of God does, and the Lord takes the Word and starts to put us under a heaven's x-ray machine and show us Him and show us ourselves and show us our need. And then it gets painful, I'm sorry, but it takes the scalpel. It's called the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and he starts laying us open before God and digging deeply into our hearts only God can do that the Lord has something he wants to say to every church in fact I'm going to tell you when churches die churches die the day they stop listening to what Christ has to say to them may I tell you why that is because the church doesn't belong to you And it doesn't belong to your pastor, and it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ died for the church. Christ is building his church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is true, don't you think we ought to give some attention to what Christ wants to say to his church? In fact, if we had time, I'd take you to the last book of the Bible. Remember the revelation of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit speaks through John to seven churches in Asia Minor? Did you ever notice the, the ending of every one of those little letters to those seven individual churches? They all end the same way. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I say to you, the Holy Ghost of God wants to speak to this local congregation this week And I came to ask you this morning, are you ready for what God wants to say to this church? Let's take a church vote. May I do that? It has nothing to do with money, all right? Let's take a church vote. How many of you would like to hear from heaven in this church this week? Would you raise your hand? All right? Then I'm going to tell you how. Are you ready? The book of Titus is not only a pastoral letter. Please don't miss this. It is a personal letter. It's a personal letter. What's the name of the book, class? This is a smart group right here, all right? Titus. Do you understand? It is one of a handful of letters in the New Testament that was not written to a church or to a group of people or to believers scattered in a certain region. It was written to an individual. Why is that? Please don't miss this. Because the way God speaks to a church is God speaks to individuals in that church. Folks say to me, oh, we want revival in our church. All right, then you have your own revival. People say, we really need God to do something in our congregation. All right, then let God do something in you. People say, we want to see the Lord work in in this ministry. Then let the Lord work in you. This is not a group sport. People come to church and they sit in the congregation and preachers stand up and preach to crowds of people. But I would remind you that the God of the Bible made each of us uniquely. He knows us individually and He works in us personally. And so, Titus, hey, Titus, are you ready? Are you ready for God to speak? Are you ready for what God wants to say and what the Lord wants to do? How do we get ready? Let's walk through the verses and I'll give you, I'll give you four little principles I want you to write down, all right? Let's begin in verse number 1 because verse 1 shows us the people that God wants to speak to. And I love this because God wants to speak to all of us, every one of us. In fact, there are basically two 
sides of this. Notice, first of all, you have Paul. Who is Paul? Well, that's the minister. That's the messenger. That's the delivery boy. That's the person that's being used to, to deliver the message that God wants to deliver. I'm going to tell you the great, the great prayer of my heart as a preacher. Every, every week I'm in a different place and a different congregation and a different pulpit and a different setting and all of that. But I'm going to tell you what I pray every week. Oh, God, please speak to me today. Now, I want God to speak to you. I really do want God to speak to you, but I've learned something. I've learned if God didn't speak to me, then it is doubtful that I'm going to be in tune enough with heaven to say what it is he wants me to say. And I can say lots of true things, but it may not be the truth which is after godliness. Would you pray for me? Somebody said, how can we pray for you? Pray God would speak to me. I'm more concerned about God speaking to me than God speaking through me. And if that sounds odd to you, just know it is because when God speaks to you, I mean really gets a hold of you, he will speak through you. It's like the apostles who couldn't help but speak the things they had seen and heard. Matter of fact, look at the verse. Do you see the order here? I love this. Paul identifies himself two ways. First, as a servant of God and then as an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful divine order. Look, it is not first this way. It is first this way. It is not his manward ministry first. No, no. It is his Godward life first. He, he's not an apostle first. He didn't start as an apostle. He started as a servant of Almighty God. The word means the bond slave, the low servant. Look, I'm just the Lord's little servant boy. That's all I am. I'm, I'm the Lord's slave this week. I, I didn't come to say what I want to say. I'm sorry, but I didn't come what you wanted me to say. I came this week to say whatever God tells me to say because he's the master and I am just the servant. And all a servant can do is what the master says. So the preacher, the messenger, has to be ready to hear from God. God wants to speak to the preacher. And then he's a sent one. Then he's one who can carry the message. It's the same order in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus called the original disciples that they should be with him and then he sent them forth to preach. First they were disciples, then they were apostles. First they were drawn, then they were sent. First they came to God and heard from God. Then they went for God and delivered his message. And so Paul must hear from heaven. But then look at the second half of verse number 1 because it's not just for Paul. Aren't you glad that God is not prejudiced? Aren't you glad that the Lord wants to speak to all of his people? So you're not Paul, and for the record, I'm not Paul. But here's where we are. Don't you love to find yourself in the Bible? We are a part of this expression. It's found two or three times in Paul's writing, God's elect. Would you mark that in your Bible? And somebody probably is getting nervous right now thinking, oh, my goodness, do you believe in election? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. The question is not do I believe it. The question is what did God mean by it? Could I point something really obvious out to you? that he uses the word elect and not the word select. That's very important. Because I've heard people teach and preach this like God selected some people to go to heaven and God selected some people to go to hell. Brother, I'm just going to tell you right up front, whether you agree or not, I'm a whosoever will preacher. I believe God loves all people. I believe Christ died for every man. And I still believe what the Bible says, that whosoever will may come and take the water of life freely. 
So I don't believe here the idea is that God selects and you've got no choice in it. He made you a robot and you've got, you've got no, uh, no cooperation with God and no response to the gospel of grace. I believe this. We are elect from the foundation of the world. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God who knows the end from the beginning knows all things. And this expression, God's elect, is one of the most tender, precious phrases in the whole of the New Testament because what he's saying is, oh, I love this. He's saying, you belong to me. Anybody else glad you belong to Jesus today? We belong to the Lord. We've been called to him. We're part of his chosen ones. Look at the verse. According to the faith of God's elect. The emphasis here is not on some preordained choice but on God's divine call we've been called to believe on him and we have believed on him and if you haven't believed on him you must believe on him because you cannot be saved apart from the faith of God's elect look at the end of verse number one the acknowledging of the truth dear Lord help us do that this week help us not just say we're believers and we've trusted God help us acknowledge the truth which is after godliness I fear that there's a whole lot of people who got saved and that's where the whole thing stopped with them. They're going to heaven someday, but they're not living godly today. They're looking forward to eternity, but they're missing life that God has for them right here and now. We need God's people, along with God's preacher, to get on the same frequency as the Holy Ghost of God and hear what it is God has to say to us. And so verse number 1 shows us the people that he's speaking to. Look at verse number 2. He shows us here the promise that he will speak. And not only that he will speak, but how he speaks. Look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, mark this in your Bible, that cannot lie. (laughs) I love the Word of God. You know, in recent days, some very well-known preachers in different parts of the country have cast great dispersion and question on the, on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. I'm just going to stand up and tell you boldly and gladly, I believe that God's Word is all sufficient. You know why that is? Because, look please, if a man's name is connected to his Word, don't you think God's name is connected to his Word? That's why the psalmist said he's exalted his word above his name. You ever hear somebody say, you're only as good as your word, you're only as good as your word. Let me just tell you something. The word came straight from God and the word is evidence of God's character and God is who God has always been. God cannot change. He says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. He says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same. Aren't you glad that in a changing world Jesus is the same? Yesterday, today, and forever. A lot of things changing right now, but God never changes. And God doesn't say he will not lie. Look at it. It says he what? He cannot lie. Praise God. You know why? That's his character. That's who he is. He's the God of truth. Matter of fact, just for fun, hold your place here a second. Put, just put your hand right here and turn over to Hebrews 6 with me for just a moment. I'm reading through Hebrews right now again, just devotionally, praying my way through it. And, oh, it's helping me, helping my soul. I was in Hebrews 5 this morning, but look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. And look at verse 18 of Hebrews 6. That by two immutable things in which, would you mark this in your Bible? Sound familiar? It was 
impossible for God to lie. And all God's people say amen to that. You can lie. I could lie to you. But it's impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. He made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you see how God's immutability, the fact he cannot lie and he will not change, is connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ? And please don't miss this. There's a key word. It's found at the end of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. It is that amazing word, hope. The only way we have any hope is if God's word is true. I'm just going to tell you, if God's word is not true, let's pack it up and go home right now because there's no hope for time and there's no hope for eternity. But I tell you today, there is hope because the word is true and it is impossible for our God to lie. Go back to Titus. Let me show you something. Do you see the key word in verse 2? Titus 1, verse 2. In, what's the next word? Hope. There it is. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Do you see here, look at it carefully. Do you see here eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future all in one verse? Let me blow your mind for just a minute. We live in time. Is that right? I live on clocks and calendars. I live on a schedule. And so do you. God doesn't live in time. Time lives in God. See, God made time. You want to know how big God is? Watch this. God holds time, all of it, in the palm of his hand and looks at it with a glance. He's the everlasting God. He's the eternal one. That's why his name is not I was or I will be. His name is I am. He's in the ever-present now. He's in all of it at one time. Somebody says, preacher, I can't get my mind around that. Well, join the club because I can't either. We're finite beings. He's an infinite God. There's no searching to his understanding. What a great God we serve. But look at that verse because he gives us just a little glimpse of all of it. He takes us all the way back. Look at the end of the verse. Before the world began. Now look, before the world began? Yeah, before you ever discovered this world, before Adam ever discovered this world, God was still God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So when you go back to everything vanishes, guess who's still there? Our God is still there. Now turn back a few pages in your Bible, would you? To 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. The Bible talks about Christ being the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I want you to understand that what God's up to right now was planned from eternity past. This is not some recent Johnny-come-lately. No, no, this is God's eternal purpose. Look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, don't miss this, before the world began. This didn't even start on Calvary. This started in the heart of God before the world was ever even created. And so we go all the way back. Look at our verse, Titus 1, verse number 2. We go all the way forward into eternity because he says in hope of eternal life. So fast forward from this moment a million years. Boom. One million years from this moment, you're going to be somewhere. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? Watch, please. 
the same God who promised before the world began will fulfill that promise when the world is gone. When everything has burned up and every person has passed away, our God will still be where he has always been on the throne of the universe. And please don't miss this. Because Titus is written to say that the God who was and who will be is right where you are. Look in the verse because the Bible says in hope. The God who was working before the world began, the God who will give life in eternity is the same God who gives us hope right where we are. The people God wants to speak to, that's every last one of us. You qualify. Congratulations. And the promise is you can take every word God says to your heart and believe it because God always speaks the truth. Go to the third verse. I'll share a third principle here for getting ready for what God has to say. Not only do you see the people and the promise, notice the preaching. This is very important, the preaching. Verse 3 says, but hath in due times, that's where we live right now. God's a God of perfect timing. Christ came when the fullness of time was come. God has a schedule, and his schedule is not our schedule. In due times, he manifested his word. God always speaks through his word, but how is the word given? He manifested his word through preaching. God speaks through the preaching of his word. Let me show you something. Go over to Hebrews 1 just for a second, real quick. Just a, you're a page away, just a page away. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, somebody said, Preacher, are we living in the last days? You do understand that according to Scripture, the last days started when Jesus came the first time. So everything from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament is referred to as the last days. So let me tell you where we're living. I don't know exactly, but we're living, I think, in some of the last of the last days. But here's the mark of the last days. In the last days, God has spoken unto us by His Son, not by prophets, not by visions, not by dreams, not by signs, not by symbols. No, no. God spoke by His Son. Who is He? He's the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. You want to hear God? You better hear Jesus. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. You want to know the Father? Look to Christ. Because the Word is the very expression of the invisible God. He is the image of the one you cannot see. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So God spoke through the Word. All right? Who is Christ? He's the living Word. What is this book? This is the written Word of God. Why does God give us the written word? So we'll know Jesus better. And why do we need to know Jesus better? So we know God better. If you want to know God and you want to hear from heaven, you must open your heart to the preaching of the word of God. Go back to our verse. Look at verse number 3. There are two key words here. Mark the word committed and the word commandment. Those are strong words right there, friends. Committed, that reminds us it's a stewardship. We're going to answer to God for it. I'm going to answer to God for every message I give this week. But wait for it. You're going to answer to God for every message you hear this week. We're all going to kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and be responsible for the truth we have heard. Let's not take this thing lightly, friends. Now, look, I want to have a good time. We're going to have a lot of fun and great fellowship together. But when we come to the Word of God, we better get serious about this thing because God has committed something to us. 
And the second word, the word commanded, that reminds us of our authority. Our authority is not our voice. It's God's word. It's, it's not what we think. It's what God says. Who cares what I think? And who cares what you think? What does God have to say to us? And so the only true preaching is the preaching that manifests the Word of God. Lord, let me know the Word better. Lord, let me know the God of the Word better. I'm very grateful that God has called me to be a preacher. I love preaching, and I preach almost every day of my life somewhere. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm speaking now not as a preacher, I'm speaking as a Christian. I have learned over the last few years that I don't just need to do preaching, I must have preaching myself. I served for almost 20 years in a wonderful church under a tremendous pastor, and I took in a lot of preaching. And when I went on the road in evangelism and started doing the preaching everywhere I went, I learned in a hurry you can only draw out of an empty well so long. And you know what I discovered? I need the preaching of the Word. I need the Scriptures. I need somebody to stand up and explain the Word to me. Somebody said, well, don't you know that passage? Or haven't you preached that passage? Not, that's not the point. This is God's... Uh, commissioned way in these due times, in this season we're living in. God uses preaching to stir the heart and to awaken the conscience to the reality of Almighty God. Look, the preaching of the Word should usher you into the presence of Almighty God. One more thing and I'll stop. Look at verse number 4 because here's the prayer. You see how he opens with a prayer? And we're going to open with a prayer. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, it's a very personal prayer, you see. It's a family prayer. Do you see that word son? I love that. Back in 2 Corinthians, he calls him brother. He's, he's his spiritual son, but he's also a brother. Anybody else glad we're in the family of God? I'm looking around the room. I know a handful of people, but I don't know too many people. But you people are brothers and sisters, so it's great to be with family today. He's praying for him, and here's what he prays. Grace, mercy, and peace. Can you think of anything we need any more right now than grace, mercy, and peace? Whew. Grace is God's own gracious character bestowed upon us, His gifts to us. Mercy is that beautiful withholding of that which we truly do deserve. And peace is the presence of God that fills our lives when the grace and the mercy are reality. Part of our problem is we're living in a world that wants peace and they don't want grace and mercy. Everybody wants peace. Give us peace in the nation. Give us peace in the world. Give us peace, preacher. Give us peace. I'm sorry. You don't get it that way. You can't have the product without the process. You don't get to jump the first two and go to the third. You get the grace of God. You experience the mercy of God, and the peace of God floods your soul. Can I tell you what I'm praying for this church this week? Grace, mercy, and peace. And look where it comes from. Don't miss this. Look at the end of verse number 4. He says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Why not just say from God? Why, why say God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Watch, because the Father is the, the sender and the Lord Jesus is the sent one. The Father is the giver and the Lord Jesus is the one through whom all the gifts come. James said, every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. So the Father is the one sending the gifts. But please don't miss this. You could not receive the Father's good gifts in your life if it were not for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so God says, I got so much for you people. The Lord says today, I got so much for you this week. I got so much I want to say and so much I want to do, so much I want to show you, so much I want to work in your heart. Will you let me? 
I have so many things. I want to open my mouth, God says, and speak to you, preacher, and speak to you people. Are you ready to receive what God has to say? I'll tell you what every person in this room ought to do this morning. Every one of us, starting with this preacher, but extending to every person in this room, ought to say to God right now, Dear Lord, get my ears open, get my eyes open, get my heart and mind open, get all the junk out of your way, get me out of your way, and speak to me this week. And when we get there, we'll be ready for what God has to say. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I think it would be most appropriate if we ended this Bible study hour talking to the one who's been talking to us, don't you think? Would you just take a moment right where you are, talk to God? Have you spoken to Him yet this morning? Would you just say to Him right now, thank you for the Word Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the scriptures. What a privilege that we can hear from heaven. Hmm. What a privilege. Thank you, Lord. Little peons. Poor, unworthy sinners. God speaks to us. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Worship Him because worship will get you ready for the Word, you see. I wonder right now, would you pray this, Lord, speak to me? The words of Samuel, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Speak to me, Lord. Oh, God, please don't let me as the preacher be in your way this week. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't say. Don't let me... Say something in a way I shouldn't say it. Please don't let me be a bad representative of the Lord. Don't let me be a distraction, Lord. Open our hearts. Get us ready for what you have to say. Lord, we unite our hearts now in prayer for the grace and the mercy and the peace that we so desperately need. Oh, Heavenly Father, send it in mighty power for the sake of thy Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen.